You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. John 14, we're going to pick up where we left off last time, and that's verse 25. Now hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let us go from here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. For without your word, Father, we'd be lost in darkness. But Father, your word gives us light so that we may see. Father, we know that we need more than just simply the light of your word. We need you to work in our hearts, to open our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts, open up the ears of our hearts, that we may hear these things, that we may see your beauty and see your glory. And see these amazing things, Father. So work in our hearts, we ask, O Lord, as we turn to your word. And work in our minds. Work in our consciousness and our hearts, O Father. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to do what I usually do, and that is comment on each verse. Um, Some verses maybe a little more than others. But uh, verse 27 is especially going to be a verse that I want to focus on this morning. And, and you know, as I was uh, looking this over this week, thinking about um, direction as to what to do with this text, I, I got to tell you, I, I couldn't think of a better text uh, for this morning uh, if, if I would have wanted to than verse 27. <laughs> You know, and I, I can't take any credit for this. I mean, we just preach through the verses, don't we? And uh, I, you know, uh, we just happen to be on verse 27 and we look at the situation with the world right now. And, you know, if I was thinking about preaching topically this morning and I was thinking about just addressing the issues that are going on in our world right now, I couldn't think of a better text to come to than verse 27. And here we are. Um, It's amazing when we come to these moments where we can see God providentially uh, working in our midst. Um, But um, I want to say a few things about uh, the text. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in John 14. And verse 25 reminds us, if you will, of the importance of context. There are three things that are important. Context, context, and what's the third? It's context, right? And I'm going to try this in Spanish, and Carolina, you have to tell me if I got it right. I think it's um, tres cosas que son importantes. Contexto, ye contexto, ye contexto, right? <laughs> See? I'm in. <laughs> I, I'm praying for the day where 
this will be required of me to have to, um, to do this. We're praying for a day. There's, there's a number of Spanish-speaking people right here in our valley, and we want to reach them. You know, we want to reach them. Uh, three things that are important, context, context, and context. And I want to stress that. And verse 25 reminds us of that. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. And some will say, well, that sounds familiar. It sounds a lot like verse 29. Where Jesus says, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. And someone will say, well, I heard that a few messages back when we were in John chapter 13. And that's right, you did. If you go back to John 13 and you look at verse 19, Jesus says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Now, what is Jesus doing there? Well, Jesus is about to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, isn't he? And that is part of the context here. Jesus has made some haunting announcements. Where are they at? They're in the upper room. What are they doing? They're observing the Passover. What Passover? The last Passover of Jesus' earthly ministry. The Passover where Jesus will offer himself as the very Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. It is his blood that will be spilt, that will take our sins away. And Jesus is trying to prepare his confused disciples for this event. And he's making these announcements. One of you will betray me. And well, imagine being in the room with Jesus. And he says, one of you are going to betray me. You'd be going, what? Imagine the butterflies that would put in your stomach if you heard that. And what are you going to ask next? The very first question you're going to ask, who is it? And that's what they ask, isn't it? Who is it? What's the next question you're going to ask? It's not me, is it, Lord? And we know from the other gospel writers, they begin to become insecure about themselves. And I made a lot of noise about this. Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, 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 it's Troy, it's not you. Don't worry, Troy. He doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't say, Matthew, easy, you can relax, it's not you. He leaves them in that, in that kind of state of self-examination. So their hearts are troubled. Their hearts are troubled already. And then Jesus says, listen, I'm, I, I've got to go. I'm going to leave. I've got to go. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And here it's important that we understand Jesus is not on a hillside somewhere speaking to a transient audience who just happened to stumble by and see him preaching. He's not preaching to a group for the first time. He's preaching to a group of men who have left everything to follow him for the last three years. Their lives have centered on him. They left their family businesses to follow Jesus up and down Palestine. Their lives are centered on Jesus. Everything has been about Jesus for three years. And now he's telling them he's going to go and they can't follow him. So you can think that their hearts are full of fear as well. So they're fearful. They're insecure. They're confused. They're perplexed. Peter even says, Lord, why can't I go with you now? I'll even die for you. And, Peter, and then Jesus makes another haunting announcement. He says, Peter, will you die for me? Before the rooster crows, Peter, you'll have denied me three times. That's, only go that's going to happen in a few hours from now, by the way. Probably less than a few hours. This is a rough night. And Jesus is telling them these things in advance. He's telling them that one of them will betray him. Why is he telling them? So Because their faith is going to get rattled. When Jesus gets taken away and Jesus gets crucified and Jesus dies, their faith is getting rattled. And when it becomes apparent that one in the very inner circle is one who has betrayed them, who has led to all of these events, Jesus wants them to know 
that he is fully aware, and not only fully aware, but completely in control of these events. You remember, I used the the illustration of Jesus pushing the button. Judas doesn't sneak away. Jesus tells Judas Iscariot to go do what he's going to do. It's important that Jesus does that. Jesus pushes the button on the machinery that leads to his crucifixion. And let's stop right now and make some application. This teaches us what our God is like. This teaches us what Jesus is like. Jesus pushes the button that's going to lead to this awful death where he is going to take the wrath of God in the place of all he has come to save. And yet, what do we see him doing? Do we see him isolated in a corner, withdrawn, only focusing on himself? His heart is troubled for sure. We're told that his heart is troubled. But his main concern is not himself, is it? Who is he concerned about? He's concerned about his disciples. Is that amazing? If in a few hours you were going to hang on a cross and take the wrath of God just for your own sins, would you have it available to think about anything else? The answer is we wouldn't, would we? But this tells us a lot about what God is like. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? Look at me. And here Jesus is about to go to the cross. And what is his concern? His concern is for the welfare of those whom he loves, isn't it? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So Jesus is telling them in advance. So as these things happen, they'll say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, Jesus did tell us before it all happened that he would be, that he would be betrayed Jesus told us before it happened that Peter would deny him. Jesus told us all these things before it happened. He really was in control. He really is the Messiah. And Jesus is reiterating that. Back to chapter 14, verse 25. He's saying, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. And in verse 26, we get another review, but I want to take it a little bit further this morning. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. I want to spend some time on this because this verse is twisted out of its context quite often. And it's twisted out of it. We we do this without even realizing it because we live in such a highly me-centered culture. I mean, I don't mean any disrespect in saying that. It's just... It's, it's, it's just the truth. It's an observation of our culture. And one of the ways where we express that is every time we come across the pronoun Y-O-U, what do we do with that pronoun when we see you? We think it's talking about us, don't we? And we can get into a horrible mess here if we do that with this verse. When Jesus says, peace I leave with you, okay, my peace I give to you, Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Who is he speaking to? Well, Judas Iscariot is gone. He's off doing his betrayal. And I take it that now Jesus is in this room with 11 disciples. Who is the you? In fact, we should say, who are the yuns? You know, when you're in a... You know my story, my young story. I was thinking of this. I wish I, I need to come up with some new stories. I have lots of new stories, but I can't use them. Many of my new stories I can't use because if I, if I mentioned it, you'd know who I was talking about, and we can't go there. But So you have to hear the old ones over and over and over again. Um, but the yuns, you know, when I was studying Greek in seminary, and we came across you, plural, we had to, we had to fill in the blank, yuns. 
uh, so that we could, we could tell Dr. Watt, we know it's a plural you, not a singular you. We've lost the ability to do that in English because we use you for singular and for plural. Could mean either. It's plural in this case. And the you here, it's important that we understand and hold on to that the you here are the 11 disciples. It's also important for us to remember that these aren't people that Jesus is meeting in the market square. These are people who have already left everything to follow Jesus everywhere he goes. They're people whose hearts are troubled at the prospect of Jesus departing from them. They're people whose hearts are embracing Jesus. They're the cent- Jesus is the center of their lives. It's important that we hold of this. And what does Jesus say? He says the helper, the Holy Spirit. We looked at that a, a few weeks ago. Uh, you remember um, in verse 16, Jesus says there, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper. And there's a footnote there. Helper. Uh, it also could be translated advocate. It could also be translated uh, counselor. The Greek word's parakletos. It could be translated any of these three ways. And in fact, I think to understand this, we need to kind of take a little bit from all three. Jesus has been a helper to them. He has helped them along. He is an advocate for sure. In fact, John tells us in his first letter that Jesus goes to be with the Father so that he can be an advocate for us in heaven. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you have an advocate who is in the presence of the Father who advocates for you. You know, we have a, uh, we have a function in the county, in Hancock County. There's a function called child's advocacy where a person advocates. Jesus advocates. Jesus is our advocate before the Father. But Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to, uh, he tells his disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you another advocate the Holy Spirit. And he comes and makes his dwelling with us where he advocates us as well. And what we see in verse 26 is what we we might loosely refer to as the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. But let's be careful with that. This is how we sometimes twist this. We say, okay, the Holy Spirit is a teaching ministry. We're getting more information than that here. That's a true statement. And it's okay if we make it in a broad way. But it's not specific enough. What do I mean by that? Look at the verse with me again. Notice what Jesus says. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And let me digress just for a moment. Notice how Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will be sent in my name. Just on the side here, that's a claim to deity, isn't it? Would it be be appropriate for a pastor to say the Holy Spirit is being sent in my name? It would be blasphemous, wouldn't it? Only a, only a call. I mean, the only one that could say that would be God himself, is it not? So on the side there, Jesus is making a very clear, a very clear claim to be God. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. See, we often leave that part out. We say, okay, the office of the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches, that's true. But in this particular verse, we twist it kind of out of its context when we forget about this remembrance that's going on. What is happening here? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to cause them to recall what Jesus has been teaching them for three years. 
It's kind of like one of these moments. I was thinking of a way to illustrate this. And, you know, um, many of you have met Tom Vance, an old friend of mine. He's been with us a couple times to worship. Um, him and Brenda have come and joined with us a few times. You know, Tom, we were one of, we were the best of friends in high school. And Tom went to live in Tampa for about 35 years. And he came back a few years ago. And, you know, as we were starting to catch up, he was talking about stories that I'd forgotten about. Until he mentioned this or he mentioned that. And many of us have had those experiences. I forgot all about that until he brings up one thing. I'm like, oh my goodness, I haven't thought about that. That's the kind of thing that's going on here. These, these 11 men have been with Jesus up and down Palestine, all over the place. And the function of the, the Holy Spirit's going to come and the Holy Spirit's going to remind them of things that Jesus has taught them, things that perplex them. Let me give you a couple examples. Turn with me to John chapter 7. I mean, this will, this will drive it home. John chapter 7, if you look at verse 37. There, I mean, this is about six months earlier, chronologically. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, you can imagine being the disciples going, huh, what's that mean? Um, do they understand all this stuff? The answer is no. But look what verse 39 tells us. Now, this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, that's an editorial comment that John is making because he now understands what he previously didn't understand. And he previously didn't understand it um, until the Holy Spirit came, brought it to his memory, and taught him what it meant. We have another example that I think is even clearer. One more, John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answers the Jews and says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Verse 20, the Jews says it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days. Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered. You see that they remembered. How did they remember? The Holy Spirit worked in their hearts, causing them to remember that he had said this and that they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. There we see the ministry. Jesus is explaining how this works. If you go back to John 14, verse 26, and with those passages in mind, we read it and we start to see it in a whole different light. Jesus says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And again, contexto, ye contexto, ye contexto, right? Context, context, context. They're confused. They're perplexed. And Jesus is saying, it's okay. I want to comfort you. In a very short period of time, I'm going to send a helper. And he's going to take away your, per your perplexity. He's going to take away your confusion. He's going, to he's going to take this. You see how this is working? Now, what's happening here? He's speaking to the 11 disciples in the room. As the Holy Spirit works in their lives, in their hearts, taking all of the things that, they have, that Jesus has previously revealed. The Holy Spirit isn't so much coming in bringing new revelation here as the Holy Spirit is coming in and reminding them of the revelation that Jesus has already given. That's an important point we need to hold on to. And they're going to remind them of those things. They're going to teach them those things. Why is that important? Because they're going to go all over the place preaching and they're going to go all over the place 
teaching and they're going to write these things down. And these things are going to be written in the New Testament. So how does this apply to us? When we say the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, should we take this verse to mean that the Lord's given us all this new revelation and we're going to run around with all this new revelation? No. What this means is the Holy Spirit teaches us through his word, through the word of Christ. Because the church, Ephesians 2.20, is built on the foundation of the apostles with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. See why that's so important? It probably would have sufficed for a sufficient sermon within itself, I guess. But we got to get to peace. Can we do it? We can close here if you want. No, I'm seeing lots of heads shaking. No, I didn't think so. Peace I leave with you. Verse 27. My peace I give to you. It's related to verse 26 in this respect that when we're confused, we can't describe ourselves as being peaceful while we're confused, can we? You know, there's a lack of peace when you're perplexed and you're confused. This work of the Holy Spirit is going to give them peace and the respect that they're going to understand. But notice the word peace. Let's talk about peace just for a moment. Jesus is talking about peace. The Greek word in this sentence is irene. And irene has a range of meaning, just like all other words have a range of meaning. Of course, means peace. Uh, it means harmony, if you will. Uh, it means order in, as opposed to disorder, or we might say it means order as opposed to chaos. But it also is a greeting and a farewell. It, it's, its Old Testament counterpart would probably be shalom, where um, you, know, you would say, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're bumped into somebody, you could say shalom, which would mean peace. Or if someone is leaving, you could say shalom, you know, peace. Uh, Irene, you could say that uh, in that context. So we have a, a greeting, we have a farewell, uh, we have harmony, we have order, we have peace. That's kind of the range uh, of meaning here. And Jesus is saying, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. Now let me just start this discussion by saying that peace is one of the distinguishing features of New Testament saving that's why the Apostle Paul begins, begins all of his letters with the phrase, grace to you, and what? Have you ever noticed that? Grace to you and peace. You know, he says, karin, karin umin. Grace. You know, sometimes you hear the word charis, charis. That's the Greek word for grace. Uh, charis, charismatic. The English word charismatic comes from the Greek word charis. It means grace. It's all of grace. How do, we come to, how do we come to be saved? It's all of grace. We can't take the credit for this. Jesus comes to us while we're an enemy with him, and he opens up our hearts to receive him. We can't take any credit for that. It's all of him. It's all of grace. Uh, it's by grace we've been saved. This is not of ourselves. It's all of his doing. But what does this do? This inevitably brings peace. Now, these words fall flat on our culture. Why do they fall flat in our culture? Because it's practically inconceivable to many people in our culture that we don't already have peace with God. When you talk with people today, let me just ask you a question. How many in the last seven days have come to you and said, man, you know, I got this problem. Can I talk to you? Man, I'm worried that I don't have peace with God. Has anybody said that to you in the last seven days? No. How about the last seven weeks? No. How about the last seven years? Anyone? Raise your hand. 
There's a reason for that. Why is it? It's because most people believe they already have peace with God. Now, why do they believe that? Is it the government's fault? Is it the media's fault? Whose fault is it? You want to know, you want to know whose fault it is? It's the fault of the pulpit. That's whose fault it is. It's a fault of the pulpit. You see, it's the church's job to teach this. If we don't teach about sin, we don't teach about this lack of peace, if we don't teach about uh, judgment and we don't teach about these things, well, in a generation or two, no one's going to believe they're even real. Because it's a hard thing, isn't it? There's a verse that I always keep in mind here. If you look at John 3.36, and some of you, you know, I'm always turning to John 3.36, it seems like, but it's always on my mind. And I, I, I got reasons for trying to keep this verse in my mind all the time. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son is eternal life. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And it's echoing the famous John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not, have, should not perish but have eternal life. But notice the parallelism that's here. We have two lines in parallel with each other. Whoever believes in the Son is eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, one of the reasons why I need, I, one of the reasons why I keep this verse in my mind all the time is because this is such a painful doctrine. There's lots of times. I don't go to Walmart that much, but there's times when I'll go to Walmart uh, with Tammy. And a lot of times what I like to do is I like to stand. I like to get out of the checkout line and I like to stand along that wall so that I can just look at everybody who's busy going through their lives, checking out. They're busy putting stuff, putting groceries. They're in a hurry, throwing things on the groceries, on the belt as they go by. And you're hearing the beep, 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 beep as life goes by. Beep, 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 beep. In the bag, out they go. And I'll tell you why I like to do that. I like to pray for them. And I ask my, and I say to the Lord, Lord, save these people, save these people. Save them. I have to keep reminding myself of John 3.36 because it's such a painful doctrine. I wish universalism was true. I wish that everybody was going to heaven. I wish that doctrine was true, but it's not. Jesus makes it clear it's not. And what, Jesus, what is being said in John 3.36 is this. If we are currently, right now, in this hour, walking in unbelief, there is no peace with God. But the wrath of God is upon them. Now, why do, we, why, why, do we, why do we need a constant reminder of that? Because it's such a painful doctrine that we push it in the back of our minds and act like it's not there, don't we? Why? Because we've got loved ones who are walking in this unbelief, don't we? We've got brothers. We've got sisters. We have moms. We have dads. We have children who are walking in this unbelief. We have neighbors. We have friends who are walking in this unbelief. And it's a painful doctrine but it's 100% factual. Notice the, the play on belief and obey. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. The parallel with belief, you're, you're expecting it to say whoever does not believe the Son, but it says it's, instead it says whoever does not obey. Belief and obedience are being put in parallel, and what that teaches us is that truth-saving faith is a faith that obeys. And the first thing that a true-saving faith, faith obeys is the call to Christ. Jesus says repent and believe in the gospel. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And true saving faith sees Jesus as where the happiness is found. You see how that works? Now, when we go back to John 14, 
We go back to John 14, and Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. What does that mean? Not as the world gives. Well, the world's always offering peace. John 6, 14, we find these false priests and false prophets saying peace, peace when there's no peace. Healing people lightly, if you will. Uh, A pastor who doesn't talk about sin and judgment is committing the same crime, and it is a crime. We have to be told about these things. It's not fun doing it. I'm not enjoying it uh, personally myself right now. But notice that Jesus says, not as the world gives do I give to you. One of the leading idols in our land is not sports. It's not even drugs or alcohol. Do you want to know who it is? It's government. Say, what? Let's think about it for a minute. What is an idol? An idol is something that you lean on when you're in trouble. And every time something happens, what do you hear people say over and over and over again? They say this, government needs to do something about this. Do they now? Government needs to do something about this. Really? Okay, then government acts on it. But every time government acts on it, what happens? Our freedom is impinged upon. Then something else happens. And someone says, government needs to do something. And government does it. And what happens? Freedom is impinged upon again. And again. And again. And again. Now you tell me, how is that any different than leaning on a bottle, leaning on drugs, or leaning on anything else? Because what we say is, okay, I'm in trouble. X needs to do something. And the more we lean on X, the more it gets a grip on us. Government is one of the leading, one of the leading idols in our land. It's one of the leading. Now, let's cover something for sure. Government is capable of giving us peace, but only an external peace. It can only give us external peace. There was a, there's a famous phrase that, um, that is often used in regards to ancient Rome. You've heard the phrase Pax Romana, right? What's that mean? Roman peace. But if you look at the history of Rome, and I'm not an expert on Rome by any, but you don't have to read very long before you realize that this Roman peace that's so famous was a peace that came at the edge of a brutal sword. And this Roman peace was never able to change the human heart in any way. Jesus says, I don't give the way the world gives. The world promises all kind of peace. Our advertising industry is always promising all this stuff. It's promising all this stuff. Oh, you're going to have peace and happiness if you buy this product. You're going to have contentment, blah, 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 if you just do this thing that we want you to do. But it's incapable of changing the heart. Jesus says, listen, I don't, I don't function like that. See, the peace that I'm going to offer is a peace that is going to change the heart. There's lots of things that go on in our hearts that keep us from having peace, isn't there? Fear is one of them. So many people right now so afraid. So many people right now so afraid. And, and now with the things going on in Ukraine, the things going on with Russia and Ukraine, oh, the anxiety is just going to increase. And what is Jesus saying to his disciples? He's saying, listen, there's some tragic things that are about to happen. In fact, the greatest crime that is ever committed under the sun is about to take place. That's the crucifixion of Jesus. 
That was the greatest crime that has ever been committed. It's hours away from being committed. And Jesus is preparing his disciples before it, uh, before it happens by saying, listen, peace I'm going to give to you. Peace I'm going to leave to you. How can he say that? Because he's going to go on the cross and he's going to die in the place of his people so that he can take away that which is keeping them from having peace with God. We think that peace with God is irrelevant in our culture. We think we're really where we need peace right now. We need peace on the streets. We need peace in Ukraine. We need peace in, in, in Russia. We need peace in Yemen. We need peace in China. We need peace in Africa. We do need peace in all these places. But that's not our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is we need peace with God. We need to be rattled for a moment to understand that in our unbelief, if we're walking in unbelief, you don't have that. And that's your greatest problem. But once that problem is solved, be of good cheer here. Be, and this is my favorite part to preach. Probably thought, is he ever going to get to it? Peace with God, once it's obtained, enables us to have peace in everything. Peace with God once it is realized, enables us to have peace with everything. That's a, in seminary, we used to say, that'll preach. Um, amen? It's probably a good time to wrap up, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Father, for your kindness. We thank you, Father, for your love and giving us a Savior that would take away the wrath, oh Father, uh, the wrath that was between us and God, between us and yourself, that you loved us so much that you took the wrath for your, you took the wrath upon yourself so that we wouldn't have to take it. And oh Father, we pray, Lord, that you would give faith, you will give, Father, you'll give your Holy Spirit, oh Father, liberally in this valley. The many hearts will come to see this. The hearts will be open and minds will be open and we'll come to see that it's right here before us. All we have to do is take it. That it's right here before us. All we have to do is take Jesus and have it. And we can have this peace. We can have his righteousness. We can have this new life. We can be a new creation. And oh, Father, we thank you, oh Lord. Many of us who have walked with you for many years, Father, we never get tired of hearing this story. We never get tired of saying this story. We never get tired of thinking about this story, Father, this peace that we have with you. It really does bring peace in the midst of everything. Father, you have given us Christ, and he has left peace with us. And it is not as the world, as the world gives, but it's a true inward peace. Oh, Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.